soul training is the art of asking yourself hard questions. Maybe perhaps the most difficult question is this, what does it mean to be you? At the center of who you are, who are you really? It's Richard Rohr who says to us that the soul needs meaning every, much, every bit as much as the body needs food. What does it mean to be you then? Who are you at the center of who you are? Strip away the labels of parent or child. Strip away your job title, whatever that might be. Leave it aside, pastor, teacher, professor, business person, grocery sales clerk, whatever it might be, leave all those aside. Whatever roles you have, strip them down. At the center of who you are, what do you find? What is revealed? This is the serious work of spiritual growth, of soul training, of asking who really, really who I am and who, whose am I? And what is God calling you to in the next moment named now? This is not easy work. This is difficult. My friend Mike Iaconelli calls it messy spirituality. This is messy, hard, dangerous in some, in some ways. Work because it asks you to be open and honest to face honest comments and questions about yourself. Not from the outside, not from somebody else who thinks you ought to be this way or that way or somewhere else, but you, that you, you know, that maybe only you know. What does that mean? What does it mean to be you? Part of the reason this is difficult is the fact that our, our, our culture just bombards us with constant, constant selling points. Uh, according to a researcher, um, who I read about in Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection. There are over 3,000 ads that each of us encounters a day. Now that, at first, that number sounded preposterous to me, but a, a few days ago, my wife and I were walking through the mall at Polaris, and I just decided to count all the different ads that I saw as I walked through. Think about it. When you're in, a, like you're at, if you're at Von Mar or Macy's or JCPenney or any of the big box stores, you're surrounded by advertisements from that very store all over the place. You walk out through the mall, there's an ad in every one. There are numerous ads in all the storefronts. There's kiosks full of ads, ads everywhere. I got up to a couple hundred before I just gave up counting. There were so many that I had to keep track of. 3,000 maybe isn't that preposterous. If you're online, if you go to the Fox News website or the CNN website, you'll find that there are dozens and dozens and dozens of ads on their, just on their home pages alone. Think about how many we encounter. And what are all of these ads saying to us? You ought to be something else. You should be like this. This is what you need. You need more of these things. They constantly are challenging us. And apparently it works. It's a $200 billion industry in the United States of America. Now, we, we share information faster today than any other time in human history. We, we couldn't even imagine 30 years ago how quickly information could be shared today. It's just, it just comes so quickly at us from so many varieties of directions. But the idea that you ought to be something else other than who you are is as old as the dirt we're standing upon. Since the beginning of time, go back to Adam and Eve and their mythological story in the garden and that serpent whispering to them. Fast forward to the time of Jesus and the story we heard today. There's that temptation, that temptation to be something other than who God created us to be. Now, the temptations of Jesus on, on at face value don't really seem that bad. 
I mean, there's something about, about feeding. You're hungry. You need to be fed. There's a note there about miracles. There's another one about, about uh, taking power and taking control of the world. Those aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but pay attention to them carefully. What's the first word the devil used in the story? If. If you are who you say you are, then why don't you turn this rock into a nice sandwich from Panera? Get a little crisp piece of lettuce and some tomato and a mayonnaise. It'll be nice for you. Why, why hike all the way back to your village? That'll take you all day. You've been out here for 40 days. Just go ahead and make a sandwich now. Or what about the second one? If, he begins again, if you are who you say you are, let's take you to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. You can jump off there because, no worries, the Bible says, it's always funny when people quote the Bible sometimes, the Bible says that God's angels will carry you and lift you and hold you and sit you gently on the ground. Who knows, maybe there's somebody out there who needs a little bit of a miracle, whose faith is waning and just one little miracle will help them find faith again. It could be a good thing, not a bad thing. Why not try that? And then the third one, if, if you are who you say you are, why don't you and I share in this power? Let's skip ahead. Let's, get it. Let's skip on ahead to that moment. And if you really are who you say you are, well then, who better to rule the world with me? Let's do this together. You see, do you hear the key word in all three of those temptations? It's the word if. That word if causes anxiety, worry, fear even. If you really are who you say you are, why not do this? You see, it's a temptation to give in to impatience, to try and be something that he's not, to, to leave his full self aside and quickly find a path that can get around pain, that can eliminate needing to love, that can use power for its own means. The, the devil is a feisty little guy, but he knows. He knows. Uh, now, let me be clear. I, I don't believe in a, in a, in a personal devil and the personification of evil, but we've seen enough evil, haven't we, in our world? And most of the time, it starts with a simple whisper, with a quiet question, if. Is this who you really are? Well, let's, that's too difficult. Let's sneak on past that. Uh, I read someone this week who said there are three keys to spiritual growth, to not only facing temptations, but to becoming who God wants you to be. The first one is awareness. The second one is awareness. Can you guess the third one? It's awareness. Yeah, you did very well. You get, a, you get an A. Anthony DeMello uh, says, says that our souls long to be set free. Our souls long to be the ones that we were created to be. Not, not the one that your father-in-law or your mother-in-law or maybe even your spouse or a teacher or a pastor or somebody else told you you ought to be or should be, but simply the person you are, that you've been naturally gifted and created to become. In being set free that way, we then can choose the pathway of love without the worries of the difficulties, knowing that we're on this path as the one I am who I'm called to be. It's easy though in our culture, isn't it, to criticize the other, to make judgments about the other, to, to wonder why they aren't more like what we think that person ought to be. It would be nice if we could set that aside. It seems to just infest, especially even the last six, seven, eight, nine years, to be even worse than it's ever been. Uh, Anthony DeMello, who I quoted a moment ago, he tells a story about two men walking down a main street. 
They come to a taxidermist shop. There's an owl in the window. They stop to look at, at the taxidermist's work. The first man says, you know, it doesn't seem very lifelike at all, does it? And the second man says, no, not, not at all. It's, it's too wooden and, and stiff. The, third one, uh, the second man says back again, well, it seems as though he really isn't alive at all. This is just not very well done. At that point, the owl, who was looking this way, turned his head and winks at the two men. I love that little parable. I love what it says about us. If someone is coming to you and saying, this is what you ought to be, or I expect you to be like this, or some other unfair expectation, maybe the best thing we can do is just simply turn our head, give them a little wink, and keep on walking down the road. Because what God wants is you. Not what I think you are. Not who that one or this one or somebody else thinks you are. But all God wants is you. Your whole self. To then give yourself to that singular command that Jesus named, the only one that matters, to love God and love your neighbor. Everything else is open for discussion. Love God, love your neighbor. That's what you and I are called to do. And when our souls are set free to be who we are, the pathway named love is so much easier to walk. Oh, the, the consequences might be difficult. There might be hard things to face. But we can walk it in, in the knowledge that we can take on whatever comes at us. I told my Bible study group uh, earlier this week about a conversation I had once with a man who, who told me he was an atheist. He knew I was a pastor, and we got into a conversation about it. I said, tell me about your atheism. Where does it come from? He told me that he'd served in the first Iraq war back in the early 1990s when he was 19, 20 years old. After 9-11, he re-enlisted and served again in the, in the Iraq war. Felt like that was the best way he could serve his country. He said, Pastor, I saw horrific things ugly things, horrible things. I was in a firefight in Fallujah, and I won't even get into the details, he said, but I saw my buddies ripped apart. Now, he lives in Kentucky. Now, I work in the Appalachian Mountains among victims of addiction, alcoholism. Again, I've seen life at its worst. I don't know where God is. But I'm not waiting for God to show up. I, my wife and I have given ourselves to this work in the Appalachian Mountains in some of these poor, poor communities. And he, he told me story after story after story. And after a while, I said to him, you know, I want you to know something. Jesus taught, to love, taught us to love God and to love our neighbor. You're loving your neighbor. And I believe that every time you love your neighbor, when you care for the least of these, when you help those folks who are caught up in addiction or alcoholism or whatever it is, you are acting in the way that Jesus calls us to live. Just keep loving and don't worry about whether there's a God or not. He smiled and he said, you almost make me want to go to your church. <laughs> That's the promise, is it not? The promise isn't try to live up to some ideal that none of us will ever reach. The promise is to be who we are. To, will we stumble and fall? Will we have issues and, and problems? Of course we will. But the promise is that we will not be alone on this journey. My, my friend Mike Iaconelli has so much to say to us about spirituality and the way we live our lives. I, I want you to hear from him because what he said in his book, Messy Spirituality, is that it's not easy. It's very difficult. Let, let's put his words up on the screen. 
Spiritual growth is more than a procedure. It's a wild search for God in the tangled jungle of our souls, a search which involves a volatile mix of messy reality, wild freedom, frustrating stuckness, increasing slowness, and a healthy dose of gratitude. Leave it up there for a moment. I just love what Mike is saying to us here. Spiritual growth is more than a procedure. It's a wild search for God in the tangled jungle of our souls. What a marvelous phrase, in the tangled jungle of our souls. Only those with courage, only those who are willing to, willing to walk forward, get messy as it were, will find their way through to the, to the other side. It's a beautiful reminder as well that in the church, we don't do this alone. We do this together. Deb Lindsay said it a moment ago, we create these sacred spaces so that we can gather as a community of faith to be in this sacred moment named now to find faith, hope, and love. Almost six years ago, it was March of 2017, when I became your pastor. After a couple of days in, in the office down at First Community South, I, I drove my car down to Camp Akita to check out the ministry that we have there. What an amazing overnight trip that was. Scotty Nickel, who was the director of Camp Akita back then, took me in those, one of those four-wheelers, I think we call them gators, little four-wheel wheel vehicle, and we drove all around the, the camp, and I, I was amazed at the beauty and the, of the nature of the, of the facilities and, and all the rest. A couple months later, at the beginning of the month of June, I went down and spent a morning with, with the, the young adults who were serving as the counseling staff. There was about 40 of them there. Talked about First Community and our faith and our understanding of, uh, and our, our practice of it. Had a great time talking with them, wrestling with some questions that, that they brought up. And then I promised them, I'm going to come back at the end of July or 1st of August and check in with you, see how it's going. Well, I, I kept my promise. I went back down there. It was a 4th and 5th grade camp that was going on. Now, according to Sarah Keats, our camp can hold about 150 kids. Is that right? Is that about 150. I think there were approximately 2,000 there that day. <laughs> Have you been around 4th and 5th graders? I mean, they were just smiling and dancing and running and playing and, and laughing and having a marvelous time. I couldn't keep up with them. I was worn out just standing in the middle of the lodge watching all the activity go on. It was the last day of camp. And so I stayed all the way through for their closing ceremonies. But before that, I, I met with the counselors to find out, what's your summer been like? What have you experienced? They shared with me the kinds of things I usually only hear in my office. They talked about faith and frustration. They talked about fear and hope. They talked about love and anger. The same sort of things I've heard you all talk about before. And then one young person in some ways, speaking for everyone in the room, said, you know, I came here thinking I had to prove myself, thinking I had to earn my way to approval, thinking I had to be smart enough and, and funny enough and all the, all the other enoughs that I don't ever quite measure up, measure up to. And what I found out here is this is family. And all I have to be is me. And that's enough. It's a beautiful moment. Well, as I said, it was the last day of camp, and the, the, the final night starts up on Bald Eagle for tiki time. There's music and dancing and singing and fun. A, a sweet little message is, is offered. And then later, the evening concludes back down on Vesper Hill. It's for the say-so, where the, 
young people are invited to stand and, and, and say a word about what they experienced this week in camp. And I, at first I thought, there's no fourth grader or fifth grader who does that. I was wrong. Dozens and dozens of kids spoke. And many of them said almost the exact same thing I heard that young adult counselor say. Here, I'm free to be me. Here, I don't have to be anyone else but me. Here, I've discovered I don't have to do it on my own. I have friends and counselors and people who will care for me. The evening was late, but I was driving home. I was a little tired, so I found my favorite station on Sirius XM. It's the U2 station, you know, with Bono and the band. And this song came on. I, I won't sing it, but let's look at the words. Listen to me now. I need to let you know. You don't have to go it alone. And it's you when you look in the mirror. And it's you when I don't pick up the phone. Sometimes you can't make it on your own. And it's you. It's you. Sometimes we can't make it on our own. That's why this space exists. That's why this community of faith for more than 100 years has said to each other, there is grace enough for all enough. There is love enough for all of us. There is love enough for all of us. There is faith enough for all of us. Is your faith waning? Is it fading? Are you filled with doubts and worry? Come to this place and we will stand there with you in your doubting. Have you forgotten how, what it is like to be loved? Come to this place and we will love you. Do you need the peace and comfort of simply being you? You are enough. You know, this story, this temptation to be someone other than who we are is as old, not even as old as Jesus, it's as old as Adam and Eve, all the way back to that moment when that viper whispered in their ears, you could be something else. No, no, and no, you are more than enough.